Welcome to the five things this week in social. This is the Webby award-winning podcast that looks at five stories from social data, content, AI, e-com, and tech to give you something smart to say to your agency partners, your media partners, or your partners in crime. If you're a marketer, an advertiser, or a creator, or anyone who makes a living by using social platforms, then you are listening to the right podcast. We have a great show for you today. First up, we have, for the first time, from Gray Midwest, it's our director of Shopper, Rick Schumann. Hello, Rick. Hey, how you doing, my friend? Doing well, doing well. Excited to have you on the show. Question for you, do you have a favorite Super Bowl commercial of all time? Oh, Super Bowl commercial of all time. I'm going to go, which I don't know if this actually started on the Super Bowl, but we're going to go Budweiser, what's up, guys? That was a Super Bowl spot. Was up. That's a good one. That's a good one. And back again, it's our friend, Abby Ness. Hello, Abby. Hi, Joey. What's up? Not too much. Same question for you, my friend. Do you have a favorite all-time Super Bowl commercial? Yeah, I love the uh, Betty White, uh, you're not you when you're hungry. It's just iconic. It's a classic. It's a classic. I'm Joey Scarillo, and I know this commercial was from before my time, but you can't go wrong with the classic Coke Mean Joe Green ad. It's also iconic. And I love the Volkswagen commercial with the kid dressed up as Darth Vader. Those are like two of my all-time favorites. All right, here are today's five things. First up, Abby wishes a happy birthday to Facebook, who turns 20. Then Rick tells us about Amazon rolling out new AI tools to help shoppers. Abby reveals a slew of trend reports that explore the latest in social behaviors. Rick breaks down Walmart stepping into the ring against Amazon's omni-channel e-com tech. And finally, Abby talks TikTok who continues to incentivize creators towards shoppable posts. All right, so, so much to get into. Abby, let's kick it off with a happy birthday to Facebook. Awesome. Can you believe it? 20 years of Facebook? I, I'm, I'm shocked. Um, you know, it kind of started as that student directory at Harvard, and now it's one of the most popular not the most popular, but one of the most popular social media platforms of all time. And it really, you know, it kind of started the, this whole thing that we're now doing, which is kind of crazy. But, you know, what would the world be without Facebook? Just to give a quick trip down memory lane, 20 years in the making. Facebook started in 2004. Zuck and his roommates launched at Harvard as the only uh, Harvard-only social network. Um, and in that same year, Yahoo attempted to acquire Facebook for $1 billion in the year that it started. Pretty crazy. In 2009, uh, to the delight of you know grandparents everywhere, the like button was introduced. Uh, I know my grandparents were super happy about that and still continue to use it every day. Um, and then in 2012, Facebook went public and reached 1 billion users later that year. In 2016, Marketplace launched. So now everyone can sell all of their XYZ online. Um, and then 2018, we had a major scandal re revealing that user data was being used uh, for political purposes. And in 2021, we saw the infamous rebrand to Meta, hinting at that shifting sentiment towards a metaverse-driven future, which at this point in time seems unlikely to happen, but never say never. But where is Facebook today? It's sitting right behind YouTube as the second most popular social media platform. 
Uh, and in terms of users, it's not too different from 2016. Around 7 in 10 U.S. adults say they use Facebook, which has pretty much remained pl- flat for the last eight years. And it's a lot of college-educated women, surprisingly. 76% of women say they use Facebook, and around 70% of adults with a four-year degree use the platform. And it's becoming a little bit less of a news destination and returning to its roots a bit. We're seeing in 2020, there was about 54% said they regularly get news on Facebook, But now in 2024, the number has decreased kind of significantly to 43%. So it's a lot less of that kind of going for for news. And maybe it still is a bit, but for the most part, it's being used as that social platform that it originally started as. So what's the future? Uh, It's probably not the metaverse, but maybe that's okay. Maybe not. We'll see. Uh, But perhaps they're exploring, you know, new facets of the current platform features. We could see, you know, like an IRL photo album or an expansion of video content in a way that we've never seen before, maybe to kind of compete with that number one spot that YouTube sits at. But there's also, you know, a possibility for for taking it outside of the current platform features and actually expanding marketplace. You know, we could definitely see an in-person um, opportunity similar to what Amazon has done with their Amazon Go stores. So there's a lot in store and, and the future is, is bright for Facebook. Wow. I actually forgot about the near Yahoo acquisition. So it's it's interesting to think about what weird timeline we could have been on had Yahoo bought Facebook back in the early, early days. And you also mentioned the like button, which reminded me of the poke button. I don't know if you guys remember the poke button, but that was a fun feature. Okay, so better for worse, Facebook is a juggernaut in the social media space. It's easy to criticize Facebook. And, you know, there's a lot that Facebook needs to be held accountable for. But Rick, I'm just curious, what do you think has led to its longevity over these two decades? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the ease of use, the ubiquity, you know, people really being able to connect with such a wide range of people and kind of the constant evolution, really trying to understand what's next. You know, I think that, you know, we talked about the like button, for example. You know, that's something that's really perforated into so many other channels, right? You know, Teams messages, text messages, you know, this is behavior that started really with with Facebook. So I think it's really interesting in terms of how they're kind of trying to see a little bit further ahead and um, roll out features that are going to add value for shoppers, consumers. Abby, you laid out uh, quite a nice timeline there. Was there anything in there that you also forgot about, like I forgot about the Yahoo acquisition or near acquisition? Was there anything that jumped out to you as like a turning point? Well, for me, I used Facebook for um, all of those game features like Fashion World and Farmville and all of those. And I We can't talk about Facebook without talking about that very special era where we spent a little bit too much time playing online games. I remember that time. I didn't engage in that as much. But what's so interesting is that across this entire timeline, you see entry points for different people into different places in the app or on the website. And everybody can say that they have a slightly different experience on Facebook, which I think is unique versus like any other app that's out there. So I mean, like I said, for better or for worse, it is a juggernaut. It is paved the way for a lot of things, but also, you know, picked up on a lot of features and trends from other platforms and pulled that into there. So I guess happy birthday to Facebook. I hope it's a wonderful year. All right, let's move on to Amazon rolling out some new AI tools to help shoppers. Rick, why don't you tell us about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. This is a really exciting piece of technology that Amazon has launched. So they've launched this new solution. It's AI-powered. It's called Rufus. And it's really aimed at helping shoppers across their journey, right? Finding answers to their questions, product comparisons, making purchase recommendations. You know, I think we're starting to see, you know, there, there had been so much buzz around ChatGPT and, and other AI models. I think what you're starting to see is the incorporation of those models into existing platforms. So, you know, you're not going to have to go somewhere separately. You're going to go to Amazon as you would typically search. And you're going to be able to type in things like, you know, tell me the benefits of different types of TVs, for example. You know, that's a search that would have started on Google in the past. You know, there's all these different types, OLED, QLED, 4K, there's an 8K TV. Now you can start that search right on Amazon. It's going to give you product information. It's going to allow you to do comparisons. Um, and it's going to give you personalized recommendations based on your purchase history as well. You know, I think that's one of the really cool things about this is when you compare versus Google or Microsoft and their AI solutions, the thing that's really unique about Amazon is they've got purchase data, right? Google and Microsoft know what you do throughout the day. They know what you search. They know what sites you like to go to. They really don't understand what you purchase. And that's really the million-dollar question for within, especially within the CPG industry. You know, shoppers say they will do one thing and then they do something different with their dollars. So this is a really powerful way to really start connecting some of this AI technology into a, a real everyday occurrence. Already, Amazon is the number one place where product searches happen. You know, you could see this being a direct attempt to gain more share of voice for search in general away from people like Google and Microsoft. I think the, you know, the unknown with all of this AI model is, you know, how is this going to skew people towards Amazon products potentially? I think that's one interesting area here. You know, you could see Amazon obviously has many private label products in most categories. And are there, is there going to be preference given to their products over branded national brands? You know, only time will tell, but it's this really interesting way that they're potentially going to change search behavior in general. We've been trained forever to type in keywords rather than to type the way that we talk or to build command prompts. And that's kind of where this is heading, right? It's moving away from just typing in a bunch of words to actually real sentences, a deeper searching ability and, and really powerful for the, for the shopper at the end of the day. You know, Abby, with all these tools coming out to help shoppers, you know, one of the newest ones to hit the market, I think, is the, the Apple Vision Pro, which I personally have not had a chance to play around with. I don't know if you have. But do you know if there are any ways that that platform is looking to help shoppers as well? I think for me, it would be fantastic if there were some sort of try-on feature, especially given like if you're able to upload, say, your entire camera roll, which I know some people would probably have an issue with, but being able to upload your entire camera roll and actually having a sort of um, AI-generated wardrobe and giving you different shopping opportunities specifically based on, you know, your style, the evolution of your style, um, and pulling in some of those pieces maybe that you forgot about or something similar, but like like you could actually tell the specific tool why you don't wear that. And so it gives you new options. I think that would be a game changer for me personally. Me too. Oh, wow. If I had that, that would be awesome. Rick, I have another follow-up question here. This is more something I've just been always wondering about Amazon. So if this is a short answer, great. But if it's a long answer, then we can have another conversation about it another day. But with all the information that Amazon has on our shopping behaviors, as you pointed out, which make them, which set them apart from the other apps and search engines, does Amazon know when I'm buying something as a gift? And why do they keep thinking I want to buy it again if, 
you know, it was a one-time thing for the holidays. Do they know that information? It's a fantastic question. You know, I think they know it through certain channels. For example, if you've marked that this is for a gift because you're basically going to give a gift receipt or if you're going to do some type of gift wrapping, which is an option they, that they do offer. There, so there are ways, but it's far from foolproof. You know, and you know, adding to that, the other area that's a challenge is my wife and I share an Amazon Prime account, right? So getting a true one-to-one perspective on people in a household, that's that's one area where they're, they're still trying to figure that out as well. Great. Well, Amazon keeps sending me ads for Legos, which is great because I buy them for my nephews, but you know, Okay, let's face it. I want the Legos. All right, let's move As right I said, along. Maybe you need another side hobby. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, let's move right along. Abby, there are a slew of trend reports that have come out recently from almost all of our favorite platforms and even some bigger research centers. Why don't you tell us about what they're putting out and and how they relate back to social behavior? Yeah, there has been a lot in the past few weeks. Um, We've seen, you know, a new Pew Research study that's speaking about, you know, the specific behaviors on all of the different platforms, who's using it, what they're doing. Um, We've also seen some Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, and they all kind of have their own spin based on who I think they perceive their audience to be um, and what they value specifically um, in those interactions. So we'll start with Instagram. I think um, it's very Gen Z focused, which is not entirely surprising considering the predominant um, audience that they have on that platform is that Gen Z audience. Um, but we see you know, a lot of different things across fashion, beauty, wellness, media, finance, and just lifestyle in general. Um, some of the most notable to me were uh, this encouragement of, and again, I am a Gen Z, so this is definitely from that Gen Z perspective, but um, there's this encouragement of sustainable shopping habits, you know, thrifting, looking at um, how you can wear one outfit 10 ways, um, and also just this sort of idea of modest uh, dressing, which is interesting. I think normally that's kind of been a taboo in my generation, but that's um, a, a shift that we're that they're predicting. Um, and then there's also this piece of strengthening relationships. Uh, Gen Z is predominantly single, and their focus supposedly for this year is on kind of building the current relationships that they have. And really what I think that means is we're looking for stronger connection. It's not about those one-off small talk situations, but rather getting deeper and really understanding each other in our relationships. And then, of course, I think we see this with Gen Z a lot is taking action when it comes to social change, whether it be, um, you know, we're in an election year, whether it be uh, climate change, whether it be numerous wars that are going on. It's having that really active voice in that community and taking it even a step further. It's brands that are having an active voice in, in those societal issues and taking a specific stand. So that's on Instagram. On TikTok, they have taken a little bit more of an imperative-driven approach. They've kind of set this theme for themselves, which is bravery breakthrough. And that's kind of their whole platform for 2024 and potentially for the future as well. Um, But they're hoping to kind of see this sort of continuation of curiosity and storytelling. I think one of the great, great resources on TikTok is, is learning new information you never thought you would have needed to know. Um, and and I think that brands specifically have that sort of opportunity to to step into that conversation if they haven't already, 
and really build that trust. You know, it's it's not just about entering the conversation. It's about really speaking to to truth and and to furthering that story. And I think that TikTok is hoping to see more brands kind of actively involved in that conversation. And so I think, you know, within both of those, something becomes really clear. It's that consumers are really using social to connect with brands they feel represent their core values. And so brands who can tell a great story, provide value, and really choose to take action on numerous issues, whether it be societal or otherwise, are really going to win with consumers in 2024. Rick, with all this data and trends that just came out, does any of it jump out to you, particularly when it comes to marketers? Is there anything here that you think marketers could really take away and should hone in on? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that stood out to me, even kind of connecting back to the Facebook 20-year story that we talked about a little bit ago, is Facebook is the number one source of news among all of these platforms that we talked about. 30% of people get their news from Facebook, which I think is really interesting for a whole lot of reasons, especially as we've talked about maybe some uh, you know, troubled past with Facebook and how they may have led certain things in certain ways. But I think that's just a really interesting point in that you know people are getting their daily news through this source. It just really stood out to me as something interesting. Abby, going back to the data here, which of these trends, specifically maybe from TikTok or Instagram, do you think that, you know, we as like agency folks can really use in the work we do and the creativity that we put out? I think definitely having um, that team that's, you know, the kind of the voice of reason, if you will, like, I hate to say that, but it's like pressure testing whether the concepts and the creative that you're putting out actually resonates with an audience. And avoiding that sort of like tone deaf uh, perspective that sometimes, you know, we've seen in the past years with brands. I think Gen Z especially sees right through that. And so having that specific dedicated team um, to really gut check, I think is, is crucial. Well, I love talking about trends on this show because then it gives us a chance at the end of the year to be like, oh, that came true or oh, that didn't. But the reality is, We usually never actually look back at these things, but it is really cool to see what the brands and what the platforms are focusing on in the year ahead. All right, let's move on to Walmart. Uh, We talked about Amazon earlier, and now, Rick, I want to know about how Walmart is stepping up to Amazon's omni-channel e-com tech. Yeah, absolutely. So Walmart's launching a whole range of new technology solutions, and this is aimed at really creating a better omni-channel experience. They're really focused on trying to integrate both their physical and their digital storefronts, really bring this together to one unified, cohesive experience. Um, And they feel like they have this distinct advantage, right? They're the number one physical retailer, and they're going after the number one e-commerce retailer, which is obviously Amazon. Um, And so a way for them to do that is to lean a little bit heavier on the ability to leverage these physical spaces accompanied with the digital tech stack that they've built out. So what this starts to mean, right, what does this look like in a real Walmart store? You know, in the next over the next couple of years, they're going to be remodeling hundreds of their stores. It's all part of their new plan that they've rolled out called the store of the future concept. And this is really about incorporating different interactive technologies to really, again, blend online and in-person shopping, kind of bringing the best of both worlds to the other world, if that makes sense. For example, in-store shopping, you've got a great ability to discover products. You can roam through the aisles. You can see, touch, feel. So there's a lot of benefits to that in-store channel. Digitally, you've got convenience, ease. You can get it shipped right to your house. There's low friction. So how do you kind of combine the best of those things, the experience that you get from a physical store, but the ease and convenience of online shopping? So some of the 
things that they're trying to roll out in this you know, store of the future con. Things like bringing more digital signage that's easy to follow, video formats in store, things down, this sounds a little bit tactical, but if you think about the labels that are on every single product, there's price promotions that happen every single week in stores. And so they're, they're testing digital labels that'll allow you to change prices you know, in real time and really just help make it an easier navigational experience at the shelf really call attention to certain benefits, features, things like that. So, you know, you think about all these different things that they're bringing in. It's, they're, they're testing and trying what is going to work, what's going to resonate. They're even going as far as, uh, you know, apparently testing virtual uh, and augmented reality, trying to use pairs of actual, you know, whether it will be like an Apple Vision Pro, they haven't really gotten that far, but trying to bring, like literally bringing that type of technology into a Walmart store, which I think is really interesting when you think about Walmart low cost every day, no frills. They're really trying to turn it into an experience that is a lot more enjoyable because they know it's not the most enjoyable experience to shop at Walmart in, in store. So really exciting and a lot of changes. I think they're, they're just heating up and trying to figure out this, this space and, and really trying to battle and, and protect what they've built physically and can they ladder in the online presence. Abby, as a, as a consumer, putting your consumer hat on, when you walk into a store and you see some of these new experiences and new ways of information being given to you, whether it's, you know, in, in store digital price tag or even, you know, coolers that have video screens in them, what's your takeaway from that? Do you, do you appreciate that amount of technology in a storefront? And yeah, do you engage with that sort of thing? I think at first when we saw a lot of that technology, not to say that there has been anything to this extent, but um, I was really excited by that as a consumer. I think now we're shifting into a space where it has to have some sort of function. It has to have some sort of added value. It can't just be for show because I think we've become so accustomed to living in this sort of digital world that unless it's helpful in some way, I have no interest in it. I think it's just kind of a waste of money, but that might just be my specific perspective. I don't know. I would be curious to see what the listeners think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's almost like it's taking it from toys to tools, right? Okay, first you can show me what it does. And now that's great. And that's, you know, really cool. But now I need to know how it's going to actually fit into my life. And, and I kind of feel we know we mentioned the Apple Vision Pro earlier, and, and I'm sure it'll come up in many more things throughout the year. But it sort of feels that way with the evolution of Google Glass, right? So you have this tool or you have this toy that people are wearing on their face. And now the Apple Vision Pro is turning more into a tool for better or for worse, uh, the look of it and seeing people in public using it may or may not <laughs> be cool, but it is still, I think it's moving into that very practical phase when it comes to AR. All right, friends, let's move on to our fifth and final thing. Abby, tell us about TikTok continuing to incentivize creators towards shoppable posts. So TikTok has introduced a couple of very new platform features. The first, I think, perhaps most notably, is the removal of all of Universal Music Group's extensive catalog. So any, you know, really popular artists, really popular songs are now no longer going to be available for use on the app. They're going to be muted and users will then have to kind of find a select alternative that, you know, TikTok suggests. But in that same vein, and I think perhaps they're kind of trying to make up for this is they're going to introduce this new feature called AI Song that basically will 
generate original songs uh, using text prompts. So although you're losing some of that popular music, you have the opportunity to kind of generate something new um, and really incentivize users to continue to kind of keep that sort of audio element that has made TikTok so popular um, in mind. The next is kind of this TikTok video experience. And it's really kind of, again, just changing the way that the, the platform works in terms of the length of video. So it will basically boost posts or boost videos that are over a minute long in, ter- in order to kind of get users to continue to use the platform for longer, which of course is their overall goal. And then there's this TikTok creative center, which kind of is, I think, a little bit of opportunity for them to limit the data element that that TikTok has kind of been been grabbing. I, I know that there's been a lot of issues with, you know, how tailored the algorithm has been. So the final one is really looking at this kind of TikTok shopping experience, which will essentially give users um, the opportunity to kind of turn their own videos into a shopping moment or shoppable moment. Um, and so anything that's featured, uh, users will be able to kind of tag and link to an e-commerce website. And it will actually prompt viewers to then continue to explore similar products and features, almost kind of like what we were talking about with the Apple Vision Pro. And they can actually find specifically what they're looking for, depending on what's featured in that video. Rick, as our shopper expert at Gray, I'm so curious what you think about TikTok shoppable posts. It's something that we know that TikTok has been pushing and, and, and really trying to get more adopted on the platform. And we know that it works in some countries and not others. But I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts on on shoppable posts? Do you do you think there's a bright future for them, uh, at least in the U.S. on TikTok? Yeah, I do. I think it's it's an area that is still, you know, trial and error to figure out what is going to resonate and really what's going to build that consumer receptivity. But, you know, it, it's just a natural extension of how people are using social as a discovery platform. You know, I think it's interesting to see kind of the the bridging of the online and the offline world as you talk about being able to upload your own content, you know, be able to purchase anything that's in that content. I think it's really interesting. And, you know, just a general focus, I think, for TikTok is going to be on monetization over the next few years. They've, they, you know, they're going to keep figuring out ways to find ways to monetize the platform. And you're seeing it even with things like partnerships with other retailers, like a Walmart, where Walmart is now feeding first party data to TikTok to allow them to get much smarter with their targeting. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the, you know, the, the the consumer journey definitely goes through social and, you know, ends either at the point of purchase on places like Amazon and Walmart.com or in store like Walmart or, you know, your grocery store. Abby, what, what do you think? What's your big takeaway from TikTok shopping? What do you think? Where's it going to go? I think if anything, it's just an opportunity for smaller businesses to kind of have that voice that the major retailers typically don't have. And so if you're, you know, mom and pop shop and you have a TikTok presence and you're offering something that people find valuable, they're going to be able to find it there. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, long live the mom and pop shop, especially on uh, TikTok. And it's a great platform for Uh, brands like that. All right. Well, friends, that does it for us today. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to discuss. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Connect with us on Spotify by sharing your thoughts on the show. Just look for the Q&A field. The topics discussed on this show are primarily written and researched by the teams at Gray New York and Gray Midwest, led this week by our panel, Abby Ness and Rick Schumann. Rick, come back again. Let's make it a thing. 
This podcast is produced by me, Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller, with post-production by Amanda Fuentes, Guy Rosemarin, and Ned Martin at Gramercy Park Studios. Marketing and communication support from Christina Hyde and Jada Hines. Listen to Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas where we speak to founders, artists, and innovators about bringing their ideas to life. You can find Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, wherever you find this podcast. That's it for us this week, listener. Thank you very much. And please, as always, be social. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. <laughs>